on today's show, we're going to be uh, focusing on uh, the criminal justice system and uh, some of its various uh, aspects and uh, flaws, of course. And uh, our uh, first guest, uh, uh, Anthony Sims, uh, we've co- uh, covered his story um, over the, the last couple of years. And uh, um, it's uh, we're really excited to have him join us. Uh, and the reason we want to, we're excited to talk to Anthony today is, uh, we're currently living, uh, through a moment where the fear of crime has led to a backlash against criminal justice reform. That nebulous phrase that encompasses the many strategies that have been tried in recent years to reform the workings of police departments, district attorneys' offices, courts, and prisons. So what happens when the justice system incarcerates someone on flimsy evidence that is later called into question? And how do they rebuild their lives when they are released dec- after decades of incarceration? Well, today we're uh, going to be joined by Anthony Sims. Uh, Anthony w- was convicted in a 1998 slaying of Li Run Chen at a Bushwick Chinese food joint. Uh, the prosecution's case was built around the testimony of a witness whose story has since been found to be awash in contradictions. Anthony was paroled, paroled last fall after 24 years behind bars. He is still seeking to clear his name. He has a court hearing on Friday where Judge Danny Chun uh, could throw out his conviction. Meanwhile, Anthony is about to begin a fellowship with the Ford Foundation. Years of preparation while he was incarcerated have put Anthony in a place to succeed after his release. Uh, joining us now to talk about all this and more is Anthony Sims. Anthony, welcome to WBAI Radio. Thank you for having me. You bet. Uh, so, first of all, uh, since your release uh, last fall, uh, how has it felt to be a free man again? And what have you enjoyed most about your freedom after uh, more than two decades of incarceration? <clears throat> That's an interesting uh, term, freedom, because although I'm, I'm free out physically, I'm still fighting this legal thing. However, mm-hmm. it feels great to be outside. Um, one of the things I looked forward to is just doing things on my own, little things such as going to the store, paying bills, um, getting in the car without being shackled up and just driving. You know, spending time with my wife, my kids and stuff. It's just the little things that I look forward to. Right. And and they must have been looking forward for a long time to seeing you back home as well. Yes. And um, so we we can't, uh, can't go into the details of your uh, case uh, uh, too much on the air, but uh, you, you told you've told me before that you're optimistic that at Friday's uh, court hearing, uh, uh, Judge uh, Chun uh, might uh, toss your conviction. Yeah, that's our goal. I mean. We're just waiting to hear like if the final verdict of the 440 hearing has been in the judge's hands now, Judge Chen. And it's Friday he'll decide if he's going to exonerate me or what. But if he does, it'll be something long overdue and I'll be able to move on fully with my life. So I'm optimistic. Great. And and uh, can you tell us about uh, your time in prison, how you persevered for more than two decades and how you, uh, you sought to make the most of the opportunities that were available to you there. Right. So, of course, it was difficulty being in prison and away from my family, um, not to mention for something I didn't do. However, I realized when I came to prison, I was still a father. I was still a husband. I was still a son. So I wanted to do the right thing in prison. I wanted to get involved. I got involved in a lot of volunteer programs. 
Um, I did a lot of anti-aggression programs, a lot of relationship programs, fatherhood forms, like any volunteer program that they had available, I decided to take and try to be like a mentor to not only my sons and not only better myself, but those around me as well. And also the college. I got into college, but, and that's really helped me out tremendously. And I would definitely ask everybody to, that is incarcerated to further their degree of their education. What did you uh, study through the BARD uh, program? Liberal arts. Um, they realized that a lot of us incarcerated, we, it, it was better for us to get a broad spectrum of different things in general instead of just focusing on one thing because it'll make it easier for us to obtain employment. So that's what we did, liberal arts. What did, what did you uh, enjoy or find most, uh, um, I guess, revealing in your studies? Um. I believe it or not, I enjoyed philosophy, um, especially existentialism. And I also enjoyed taking a Mandarin course. Uh, it was a two year Mandarin course that we took and just, just being a way, being able to step aside, although we were still incarcerated, still in prison, being in a college program at BPI was almost like shielded us and created a little bubble for us to get together and function as if we were on a campus. So we would study together. We would um, help each other out, tutor each other. We would walk through the halls together. And it was almost like a little uh, community inside of the prison. A campus, in, uh, sort of a campus behind bars. Yes. And, and these, uh, these, uh, volunteer programs you participated in, uh, how, how, how did they work? Uh, um, yeah, how, how, how do, for, obviously for those of us who've never been in this position, how, how are y'all able to help each other and, and how are these programs structured and, and how much, uh, do they seem to assist, uh, other inmates? Okay. So I'll try to take you on a quick trajectory of my study uh-huh. throughout. So, um, in 1999, I was sentenced to Greenhaven. I was, um, placed in Greenhaven Correctional Facility. At that point, I got involved with a program called, Alternative to Violence Project, and it's the short acronym was AVP. And that program created a space for us that was incarcerated to talk about the things that they said we shouldn't talk about, like our families, how we're feeling, um, different things that we're going through at that time. We focused on building blocks such as affirmation, communication, community trust building, and conflict resolution. And we were able to do these mini workshops. So it would be a three-day workshop we would do for the basic, a three-day workshop for the advanced, and then so forth. And that got me to thinking in a different way and actually trying to find different ways to deal with aggression. From there, I got into the Osborne program. Osborne, I was really, I joined them because of the parenting course that they had there. And I wanted to become a better father. So they taught us different things that we need to know about fatherhood, what it's just like being a father, and also behind the wall, I mean, long distance. And I got involved in uh, HIV and AIDS awareness facilitation. So I wanted to learn more about that so that I could have the conversation with my children. Then I got involved in Exodus and so forth and so forth. So all of these programs did different things for us at different times. And together, they helped create, I don't know, like this, this, this intentionally human being that I call myself today. Mm. And little by little, it was able to frame my rehabilitation, but also my reentry. So I did every day in prison as if I was going home the next day. And I always wanted to be ready. I even I renewed my driver's license throughout all of these years. So when I got out, I had a valid driver's license, which is unheard of 
<laughs> but I was able to do that. So yeah, these programs just helped out tremendously. You got the leg up on a lot of New Yorkers with a valid uh, driver's <laughs> license. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, um, and, and now, now that you've been released, uh, what, what have you, uh, been up to, uh, since you came home last fall? Um, I remember I went to Albany to help support Senator Myrie's 440 conviction bill. Okay. So, so, um, a lot of political activism, so to speak. Um, I got involved in a criminal justice initiative when I was in Queensboro and I did a policy proposal for in Columbia University to try to reimplement work release for violent offenders again. And I, I know some people may be like, well, why would you want to do that? And my thing is in reentry, when people are about to be released, they face two big hurdles, employment and housing. So I figured violent offenders are coming home anyway. Why not make society safer by help preparing them to come home? And getting them acclimated back into the, the workforce. So that was a big project and we're looking forward to following through with that. A lot of fundraising things for, um, different programs that are still active behind the wall and just trying to be an activist for the people that I left behind in prison. Right. And I know, mm-hmm. yeah, not all of them are innocent. A lot of them are not, matter of fact, but. They're all a lot, a lot of them in, and not all of them, but a lot of them in there are trying to rehabilitate themselves. And I want people to know that they're more the, the guys in prison are more than just what they're incarcerated for. They're human beings. They made bad choices. I don't want to say mistakes because it was a choice. Whatever happened, happened. But they're not they're not all bad. And it, you know what I'm saying? Is trying yeah. to find ways to help out. Right, because it, it, it's so easy to just put a a single label on someone and, and for one thing they did at one time and, and, and not, not only not see the totality of the person, but not see their potential to change and evolve. Correct. Uh, um, and, and uh, to what extent do you think uh, the homelessness problem that we see in New York city and uh, other parts of this country, it is a product of, of uh, failed uh, reentry of, of people being released without the support they need and, and just ending up on the streets. I would say that as, as major, unfortunately, I saw a lot of people that were released, were getting released to shelters. And I mean, especially if you did a long period of time, like me, I did them 25 years. I was fortunate to be able to come home to my wife, but after all of those times, I mean, prison is designed to rip and tear families apart. Hmm. So you may start off strong, but after a decade, after two decades plus, then basically we, for the most part, most of the people are on their own. And then, right, if they don't have a, a, a base or a place to go home to with some help, it gets dangerous and they get kicked out of the shelters. Nobody wants to take them in. And yeah, then they, they wind up getting kicked out on the street. And that's, that's really bad, which is why I think more programs should be implemented in, in prisons to help the rehabilitation process, but more so help the reentry process. Right. And, and tell us about your new position at the uh, Ford Foundation. Uh, 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 what, what that's about. So that's interesting. I, again, I, I thank Bard for this because through BPI, um, what does Bard, BPI stand for? Bard Prison Initiative. Okay. So Bard, our prison initiative was designed to not only help us inside, but to be there for us when we got released. So as soon as I was released, we had a reentry program 
And they paid us to basically teach us about tech, about wellness, about different things. We, we did a bar reentry course. And during the course, they kept putting bulletins out for job placement. And they wanted to make sure that we found suitable jobs that fit us. So, of course, the four foundation just made sense to me because of what they are. And, you know, what I'm saying deal involved. They, they deal with, you know, criminal justice. They deal with inequality. They deal with so many things. So any place I could be inside of that program, I wanted to be. And it's going to start off in, uh, I think I'm going to be start off in probably people culture, which is HR and then get like a tutorial throughout the um, foundation to see what I want to do down the line and then see where I fit in. So you, your, your uh, hope here is to uh, continue with the, the Ford foundation. This is sort of like a, um, a, a chance to sort of sample what they do and, and, and then kind of find where you best, uh, best fit in there. Yes. And I would love to be a part of the onboarding process. I would love to be, like the Ford Foundation is just a, a great foundation. So yeah, my goal is to stay there as long as possible and to just soak up all the knowledge that they have so that I can help other people and be a part of, you know what I'm saying, helping to fix certain things. And right. And, and, and they're active in the criminal, I guess what you'd call it criminal justice reform or uh, mass incarceration issues. Yep. Nice. Um, and, uh, and and are there other formerly incarcerated people you you've met at the Ford Foundation? There... Well, I don't know who all got uh, made it through the selection process because it was a rigorous uh, process to get through. Okay. So I I think maybe a handful of us got through. I'm not sure. Okay. And um, probably as soon as next week or the week after, I'll probably be going down there. And we'll probably find out who else if if anybody else got accepted to the Ford Foundation. Got it. And, um, we're, uh, we're, we're, uh, talking with Anthony Sims here on WBAI radio 99.5 FM. Um, before we go here in a minute, Anthony, oh, uh, any final thoughts that uh, you would like to share with our, our listeners, uh, as far as what you would want them to know, um, uh, about, uh, the experiences of incarcerated people and, um, you know, what they may should, should uh, take away from uh, your experience and other people's experiences that isn't necessarily reflected in in the mass media. That uh, one thing I wanted to take away with is that there's a lot of success stories, right? Um, unfortunately, the new the media is quick to point out the failures when people come out and they come right back to prison for whatever reason. But I, I would like to talk about the success story. Since I've been out, I've ran into a lot of formerly incarcerated individuals that are very, very successful. A lot of them have created paths for other people to follow. Mm -hmm. And that there's a lot of jobs open now. There's a lot of opportunities for us. And I want everybody to know that not everybody incarcerated is a, is a, is an animal, right? And let the media tell it. We're all, animals, uncivilized, this and that. And that's not true. There are some bad people in prison. I, I want to make that plain too, right? Because not everybody is really looking forward to rehabilitating themselves, but we're human. And some people made very, very bad choices, but that doesn't make them criminals and that doesn't make them social misfits. And I would ask that, you know, people welcome some of these people back into the community who are trying to really strive to do the right thing. And not blackball them because they're going to need that help and support. Okay. We'll leave it there. But Anthony Sims, 
thank you so much for joining us this evening on the Independent News Hour on WBAI. Thank you for having me. You bet. Okay. We'll be back with more after this short music break. You should have been downtown. The people are rising. We thought it was a lockdown. They opened the fire. Them bullets are flying. Who said it was a lockdown? Goddamn lie. Oh my. Time heals all, but you out of time now. Judge gotta watch us from the clock tower. Little tear gas cleared the whole place out. I'll be back with the hazmat for the next round. We was trying to protest and the fires broke out. Look out for the secret agents, they be planted in the crowd. Set a civil unrest, but you sleep so sound like you don't hear the screams when we catching beat.